0: Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and welcome to the Garden Gurus Live. It's our weekly show where Joanne Harris and I share seasonal garden advice. We feature a variety of garden lovers from all over Australia and the world and we give you the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like the Garden Gurus Facebook page and tune in every week. This live stream is brought to you by Still and Garden Express. Garden Express is Australia's largest online and mail order garden supplier, leading the way in helping customers create beautiful gardens. From their garden center to your door, their easy to use ordering system takes the fuss out of planning your garden. To create your dream garden, head to gardenexpress.com.au. Hello, good morning, welcome to the Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran, it's great to be with you and uh, and I'm having the pleasure of answering your gardening questions today. We've got a great program for you today. It's very exciting. I've got uh, regular guest, David Van Burkle joining us uh, not too far away and he's got some look um, just the most amazing orchids. We'll talk about them when we catch up with him. Also another very special guest. Uh, Each year the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show kicks off uh, in April usually and uh, it's a spectacular event and everybody should go to it at least once and ideally if you can, you should go every year because it is a fantastic event and I'm really excited because a a landscape designer uh, that I have immense, immense respect for um, from Ireland, a guy named Peter Donegan. Uh, he has been invited as the very first Irish designer to come to to the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show, and set up an Irish garden. He's working with Simpkin Landscapes, and I'll guarantee you this is going to be one very spectacular ride. Peter is just a sensational human being, and uh, we'll catch up with him a bit later on. I did an interview with him last night, so uh, hopefully you will tune in and enjoy that. Because this is all about answering your questions, and throughout this session, this next hour we'll have together, ask as many questions as you can. Don't hesitate to send us emails with photographs and stuff like that, um, because it really does help. Remember, when you are asking questions, tell me where you're from, the town, and, and obviously the state, um, really important. And I should mention that uh, that obviously we're in very, very unusual weather conditions. Um, part of the country is suffering through some terrible floods. Uh, over here in Perth today it is actually wet and cold, the coldest day in 20 years apparently, and uh, yet in Melbourne and Sydney today it is sunny and I believe quite pleasant weather. So you just can't pick it, can you? So we... Um, we have these little challenges that come as a consequence of the fact that we try to grow plants in these environments and whatever the weather conditions are will affect how your plants grow. So that's why it's important you tell me where you're from. Okay. Shall we get straight into the show? Maybe what we'll do is we'll go straight to my very good friend, David Van Berkel. David, good morning to you.
1: Trevor, good morning. How are you going on the cold day in in
0: 20 years? Mate, look at you. Look at you. You look like you've just come off a tropical island holiday.
1: Well, maybe I was in Singapore in my dreams, you know, uh, enjoying the best possible view from an office. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's it's probably uh, I should explain that that joke is that uh, currently um, uh, my team is working. With a team in Singapore, we've we've expanded our operation and we're doing a brand new television series up there called uh, The Garden Gurus Singapore SG uh, and it's The Garden Revolution is the series. So it's all about uh, this huge trend up there, uh, particularly amongst young people for growing your own food at home, indoor plants and gardening generally, which is just fantastic. It's great to see. Yeah,
1: massive congratulations to you and the team, mate. That uh, sounds like and looks like it's going to be heaps of fun. So, uh, yeah.
0: It already Hopefully is. It, it has its fair, fair few challenges. Hey, David, I caught up with Rowan a couple of weeks ago. I, I literally flew back from Europe, jumped on a plane, flew straight to Melbourne, and he took me out to the most amazing nursery. And uh, we got to spend uh, the best part of a, a day together wandering around with the, with the owners of the nursery and with a film crew. And what we saw was mind-blowing. That, you know, every once in a while I'll do a story and I'll learn something that I just didn't know before. And this was actually one of those moments in time. And I'm not sure whether Rowan passed this on to you, but we were walking around the nursery. It was It's just covered in the most spectacular um, uh, phalaenopsis orchids, the, the moth orchids, in different sizes, shapes and colours. But there was a particular batch that were gigantic. And did you hear this story? I didn't
1: hear this one, no.
0: It's amazing. So there's this gigantic Phalaenopsis orchids. I mean, the, each of the flowers was like that big and they're on stems that were enormous coming off plants that are in, still in small pots like this. And we were talking to the to the owner and, and he said, oh, don't look at those. Don't look at those. They're not the way I like it to be. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, look how big they are. They're enormous. They shouldn't be that big. And I said, well, why are they so big? And the nursery had had a fire in one of their central glasshouses wow. uh, the year before, and all the smoke had flooded into uh, that glasshouse and into another glasshouse full of Phalaenopsis orchids. And obviously, it took them days to to get in, clean up, and then it, to, I suppose to air the orchids out. And in that period of time, they'd sucked up all this carbon out of the atmosphere and it made them grow twice as big and the flowers twice as big, which for well, this particular grower wasn't the ideal scenario because he was looking about he wants every single one to be the same size and height and shape and everything else. But here with these giant – but isn't there a story in that too with regards to smoke and how it affects plants?
1: Well, for the most part you would think that would ruin them. I mean, if uh, I, I hate to go back to wine discussions with you, Trev, but <laughs> if they have a smoke or a fire uh, in, around a vineyard – that will affect the vintage and and possibly right off that crop because of the absorption of the flavour. Yeah. Um, But, hey, as a home gardener or, or, you know, on my table at home, how good would those extra large orchids be, uh, as opposed to a bunch of fresh flowers?
0: Well, I believe they're in bunning stores across Victoria at the moment. So um, right. he was moving them the week after, because of course the buyer walked in and saw exactly what I saw, and it's the wow factor, and yeah. it really is serious wow factor. They they were spectacular. But look, the whole place was full of amazing phalaenopsis orchids, and in particular. They have these beautiful little mini Phalaenopsis, which I hadn't really seen a lot of before, but they're just stunning. Phalaenopsis
1: orchids are incredible, aren't they? And it's yeah. probably a product of, of uh, nurseryman ingenuity going back decades, their ability to tissue culture these plants, grow them so beautifully in controlled environments uh, and have them available um, like this. And these new miniatures are fabulous for us because the larger ones we would have trouble shipping you'd get a bit of breakage and that but we did some trials on these miniatures uh, so fantastic to be able to get them to um to our customers So we're really looking forward to uh, to shipping them out
0: and oh. there- yeah. Yep. I was going to say, I was blown away because it, there's such diversity in colour. Um, you know, there's, there's every single colour you could think of. Plus there's these multicoloured blooms. Um, they, they're, they're full of, literally, they're lovely compact plants. So if you're thinking kitchen table, you're thinking office desk, you're thinking bathroom maybe, they are just one of the most colourful plants you could put in
1: all of those locations, you know, and then you can you can sort of plant three of the pots, just leave them in the pots, but plant them in a bigger pot so you've got a few extra stems and, and have a beautiful tabletop. And what, eight to ten weeks of flowering, Trevor, like they're just one of my favourite purchases from for, for my lovely wife is to um, is to bring her some orchids.
0: Now mate, I, I got some phalaenopsis orchids from the forest the other day. Um, I think I paid thirty-nine dollars for two stems. Um, and, of course, those flowers, they'll last a, a good week and a half because I was doing the same thing you were. I was making up for being a bad boy and uh, giving them to my good wife and uh, she she fell in love with them. But, of course, buying them just as stems, that's it. It's all over after after two weeks basically. Exactly. Um, but, but when you get a plant, it just keeps it's, – it's the gift that keeps giving, isn't it?
1: I, I have to admit, you know, like it's uh... – it is that gift that just keeps going, and, and I love my flowers. I've been a flower grower my whole life, and so to buy a bunch of flowers and bring them home and, and you know, get seven to ten days is fabulous. But to put a few orchids on the table for literally the same price as a dozen roses uh, and then have ten weeks, and I haven't been real good at making them flower the following year. They're not actually my best skill. Uh-huh. But ten weeks uh, of of colour on the table with just a tiny bit of water from week to week, they're just
0: amazing yeah, they, they really are. Now, look, um, we should get to the bit that everybody's wanting to know, and that is um, how do they get their hands on them? And you guys have managed to get those those orchids from that particular nursery and make them available to people all over Australia.
1: Yep, absolutely. So we've got some, uh, they're all the miniatures. We've got some single stems and then also some double stems. So you pay a little bit extra for the extra stems, but yep. we're offering them at 25% off. To uh, to the viewers and uh, and our customers this week,
0: David. Sorry, let me just double check this because I've just seen the we've got the website up and I'm just looking at it at the moment. Um, normally, twenty six ninety, which I think is pretty pretty well, darn good, it is, isn't it? But but nineteen ninety, that's a saving of twenty five percent, and then the doubles twenty eight ninety would be the normal price, $21.50. Are you kidding? Exactly. Me? Yep. Have, you che- have you checked that you guys have got your calculations I right? I
1: don't even look at Rowan anymore. I just I just trust that they're doing the right thing. And <coughs> wow.
0: You know, uh, young, young Russell who is is uh, assisting, he's doing all the technical stuff in here today. He he said when he saw this story, he was blown away with actually how long it takes to grow something so perfect. And for $21.50, um, you're talking about a plant that's probably four years in the making. Is there anything else that you could make over four years and sell for
1: $21.50? Not flowering, not with the transport required to to, to ship around a plant in flower like that. I, I could probably say for us the hippies take that long to take a, a small hippie or, or a, a chip of a hippie, yep. it's a five-year process, and then they end up between, you know, $20 and, and $40. But, um, but to ship it with a flower on it? Oh my Lord Trevor, like yeah. the glass houses required. Um, and, and you saw it, that beautiful glass house here in Australia. and I had a little story of a, of a guy who started a business in Holland where you know they already got access to probably three or four massive growers. and in about five years he was up to a million Phalaenopsis orchids a year. Wow and it's just embarrassing that you know we've been, <laughs> we've been in business for many, many years and we still couldn't move that many plants in a year. So Europe's,
0: Europe's incredible. It's one of those plants that really is um, the, the ideal and you you kind of mentioned something actually that's, that's worthwhile talking about. And that is, it's, it is a plant. So it continues to grow on. And if you've got it in the right scenario, it will flower next year. And I was looking at at the way they, they water there and pretty much all they do is a fine, very fine mist. So they're only misting these plants. There's no no flood irrigation or soaking pots with sprinklers or anything like that. In fact, that's the problem with Phalaenopsis If you give them too much water, they don't perform.
1: Exactly. <clears throat> just just a little spray bottle. And and I suppose you might call it a, almost like a semi-epiphytic plant. You know, you would imagine the rainforest and in the crux of a tree that that's where they would sort of, sprout from and and be really happy so the water can freely drain away from the roots, but then they still have that moisture, uh, you know, and not too much, um, direct sunlight, I suppose. So this is why they're beautiful indoors, very low maintenance. Uh, and if you can teach me the trick to get them to flower again the next year, well, I've probably got a dozen sitting on the back patio
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's about that time of the year when they'll start putting out more flowers again as well. David, it's such a good deal. Um, garden Express is your one-stop garden shop, isn't it? You can shop twenty-four hour, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and find all sorts of amazing plants all the time, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And through the great stories and, and our ability to, uh, to sit here and, and, and talk to people and show off some of these exciting things that my team are finding, um, connecting with some of those newer growers that, that we probably haven't connected with before to continue to bring, you know, these exciting, beautiful, wonderful Uh, house and garden plants to to our customers
0: well i I know that we're going to talk in the very near future about um anthuriums too so we'll we'll save that for another day mate because that was another one of the highlights on that particular journey for me i'll look forward to seeing you again real soon great deal david folks if you want to get your hands on it it's gardenexpress.com.au. david van burkel good to see you my friend Wonderful to see you and uh, wonderful to be in front of uh, all of the viewers and the
1: readers and, uh, and looking at the comments again today. And, and, mate, how's this Flower and Garden Show? They come to our horse race and steal the big prizes. Uh-huh. And are talking about them coming to take the Gold Award. Uh, at least they're using Semkin and Semkin do a lot of landscapes at the show Um, So that's going to be fabulous to see as well.
0: You know what, Simkin is fantastic and you'll love Peter Donegan. He is just one of of the world's great gentlemen, a classic Irish character and just a a brilliant designer. It's great to see the world's best coming to Australia to compete.
1: It's going to be great. And everyone should get there. As you said, it is just such a delightful walk around in the garden. It's always different. There's always gardens. There's always plants and there's always fun to be had. And now maybe a few Irish brews to
0: go with it. I reckon too, mate. And I'll make sure I'm going to be there. So I'll make sure I spend some time with you on your stand so we can say hello to people as well.
1: Yeah, wonderful, mate.
0: All right. Have a great day. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Fantastic. Well, we've got questions flying in at the moment. I'm just looking. There's a few photographs come in. Grey from Melbourne. Hey, gurus who's eating my backyard bliss all the new growth has been eaten i trimmed it up um neatly only to have them do it again the next night now look i can't tell you who is doing that that almost looks to me like it's a possum because it's it's quite considerable that sort of damage is the sort of thing you'd expect to see from locusts or or a larger animal rats or possums as new foliage comes through now the the offside is you don't need to trim it because of course this is natural pruning, but you don't want it happening all the time because your plant's never going to get ahead. Now, what I would suggest you do, and this is if it's possums, this is the perfect way to go because you'll you'll hear um the results of what I'm about to suggest. Wait till you've got a dry night. You don't want it raining, but go and water your plants just on dusk and then go out with some white pepper and dust them all with the pepper. Now Possums have a particularly sensitive nose and the pepper getting up their nose causes them to sneeze. So you'll actually hear them sneezing and moving away from the plants. Now, it's it's probably not the long-term solution, but I'm almost certain that that is where your problem lies and um, it will keep them away for a period of time. In the meantime, giving them a little bit of a trim up just to, to keep the ends nice and clean would be a very good idea. Um, it's absolutely beautiful backyard bliss. It's a, it's a wonderful uh, lily-pilly, um, beautiful foliage, flowers. But, yeah, you've definitely got something that's really having a decent munch on that, and and you will see very quickly. But it might be worthwhile coming out with a torch at night as well because a lot of these pests tend to be active at night. Hopefully that helps. Gray. Um, okay, staying in Melbourne, Sav. Can uh thank you for a brilliant show. Could you please ID a plant or tree that I'm looking to buy? A couple of photos. Oh, I think we've got the same plant. Okay, so this looks to me like it's a lily pilly. Can't quite see close enough, Sav, but definitely looks like um, backyard blitz to me. Bliss to me, I should say. It's a um it's a beautiful, a beautiful compact lily pilly that does really well in pots, just like that. And and that does look exactly like it. So I think that's what we've got. Two in a row. Well done. Okay. Now, Tina, we're not sure where you're from, Tina. This is why it's really important, folks, that you tell me where you're from. I need your advice in regards to filling in a spa and using it as a garden bed. I'm not just wanting to have issues with drainage. I'm not I'm just not wanting to have issues with drainage. I think this is my nephew has drilled half a dozen holes into the concrete base, but it still holds water. We were hoping to use it as a veggie patch by adding straw and scoria to the soil, which is their Do I have any suggestions? The suggestion is that you actually have to make sure it's draining. If it doesn't drain, you're going to end up with a saturated, soggy, um, anaerobic soil that will smell and your plants won't grow. So you're going to need your nephew to come in with a bigger drill. Uh, You have to make sure you break through that concrete base. Uh, It's got to drain. If it doesn't drain... Don't do it. It just will be a big problem. Tina, that's my bit of advice for you. Shane's in far north Queensland heading up to the Atherton Tablelands, one of the most beautiful places on the planet, I think. It's got four olive trees. Am I best to leave them in pots or plant them out in the red soil? If it's best to put them in pots, what sort of size pot would be best? Ideally, um, you're saying plastic terracotta or timber. Well, you'd want a minimum of, of a very large wine barrel. Uh, half at least, if you're going to put them into pots, I wouldn't put them into pots. Uh, honestly, I think that they're they're always best grown in the ground, and uh, yeah, that beautiful red soil up there, they'll love it. Um, this is a this is a plant that you know can handle extreme dry conditions. It will grow in the tropics. It does need chill hours for it to produce fruit, and what that means is the number of hours under ten degrees Celsius. So it needs a certain number of chill hours to trigger that fruiting process, but. Um, Look i mean what do we do we we cheat all the time uh, i kind of get cherries in my cherry tree because i make sure i throw the ice bucket on them at least a couple of times in in the winter to really chill down the soil and maybe that's something you can do if you find you're not getting great crops a little bit of advice shane hopefully that helps gary another one we don't know where you're from but this is a pretty easy one what would you recommend to stop bugs from eating my strawberries i have them in hanging baskets now you shouldn't be getting bugs eating strawberries in hanging baskets but if they are, they're in the hanging basket. So if it's a, if it's a caterpillar, a pyrethrum-style spray will do the job. There is no doubt about it. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it is. The best way to find out, of course, is to be, uh, is to be looking at night. Um, you might find if it's strawberries that it's something like slaters, which can be soil borne and very easy to get control of by using orange halves squeezed, popping them into the basket. They'll go in and start eating the flesh on dusk and about seven, eight o'clock at night as it's darker, take them away, and you'll take most of the population away and it shouldn't be a problem. Hopefully that helps. Now, Tyson, you asked me about this last week. Can I plant flax scarlet linum seeds in the ground? Uh, The answer is yes, you can. You're not going to get the very best results, to be quite honest, in the ground. You're a lot better to grow them in in a growing tray, and I think that was my recommendation last week, is grab one of those Fothergills seed-growing trays and spread your seed out across the top in the little jiffy pots and then transplant them as they start to grow. That should help. Hopefully that's that's, um, the advice that you get this week. Tyson, nice to hear from you. Uh, Marina, well, let's have a look here. You're in Sydney. It's reading at an, an organic gardening site regarding using wor- worm castings and oh, the worm castings, water and vegetables. They were saying this is not safe. It's good for other plants but not edibles. Can you give me any further information on this? Now, I think what they'd be referring to is the the high bacterial content um, of of worm castings, there's possibly some kind of risk that you might end up with a stomach ailment of some sort if you have it over the foliage and then you're eating the foliage without washing it thoroughly and properly. Worm castings are a fantastic source of nutrient and they do massively improve soil quality. But what you want to do is apply it in under the the, the roots of the plough or around the top of the plant on the, the surface roots of the plant. And uh, if you're going to use a liquid, don't water over the foliage. Just water it into the into the soil, and that'll be fine. That should be okay. All right, um, let's go. Seth, in Melbourne, let's have a look here. I bought a passion fruit plant the last two months, but every day it's lost leaves and it's now dying. Please tell me why it doesn't work. I gave it sea salt, and I covered it with mulch, and the soil is good, but it doesn't seem to work. Is it getting 100% sunlight, Seth? And is the... Is the soil itself moist consistently? Those are probably the two questions I would ask. Because passion fruit, this time of the year, as long as it's warm. Now, that's that's a key point. So this is a this is a tropical subtropical plant. So they really do require warmth. As long as it's warm, you should end up with pretty good results. You should see the growths really start to boom away. Uh, maybe it's worthwhile sending us a photograph. Do that and i'll have another look as well jessica now jessica tilbury she is i know a very keen gardener she's in jane Brook very envious, envious of her mum's magnolia trees but do you have any advice on why the magnolia flowers go brown on the edges as soon as they bloom jess that's a really good question now there's a few different types of magnolias out there um the evergreen forms, the, the grander flora ones, which is the ones, Jane Brook is in Western Australia, so, you know, they're typically you're going to grow more the evergreens and you're going to grow the deciduous varieties. But they all have one weakness, and it's thrips. And we have in Western Australia one called the Western Flower Thrip. It's a thrip that somehow or other arrived here from South Africa. Um, it is popping up in other parts of the country, and what it does is it gets into the bud as it's developing, and it tends to, it scratches the outside of the of the surface of the of the petals and that causes them to brown very quickly and not last very long and i think that that is exactly what's going on jess i hope that helps Um, as far as controlling it it's hard Uh, you can spray but there are there's a company called the good bug company do a little bit of research on them they have these predatory mites that eat the thrips and if you buy buy them they'll send you a tube in the mail full of these these predatory mites and you release them into the garden around your magnolia and it goes up and it eats those those thrips those western flower thrips that are doing the damage and it stops them from damaging the flowers magnolia flowers are only ever going to last for maybe 2 or 3 days if you're lucky um in an indoor situation but they are beautiful and extending the flower life is a good way to go so maybe try that hopefully that helps it's better than spraying them glennis is in queensland one side of the country to the other my japanese box bush is looking a bit sad can you help glennis it would be really good to have a look at what it is um, you're doing with this whether it's in pots whether it's in the ground if it's in the ground is the soil is the soil one too saturated Or is the soil too, too dry? Those tend to be the two main problems of the Japanese box. It is a slow growing plant, but um, shouldn't really have too many issues. If you are finding it's dry, and, and again, it gets back to this location, applying a wetting agent in a watering can and soaking it into the soil is a really good way to go to make sure that you're getting even consistency of moisture through the roots. Really critical. Okay. We'll come back to Western Australia. In fact, we've got a couple coming up from Western Australia. Kerry's in Rollystone. Hello, Kerry. My gardenia leaves are yellowing and dropping off. What would be causing this? Now, gardenias coming out of winter start to grow. And as they start to grow, they start drawing on nutrients. And if there's not enough nutrient in the soil, they'll take it out of the old leaves and put it into the new leaves. And the first thing that happens is the old leaves turn yellow and drop off. I suspect that's what's going on, and it may be that and a combination of soils starting to dry. Rollystone is actually up in the hills in in Perth, and um, those soils can start to dry this time of the year after being quite saturated through the winter months, albeit today with lots of rain, should be okay, I hope. So my suggestion would be, Kerry, give them a feed, really important. At the moment, a controlled-release fertiliser is a really good way to go and um, something like Troforte is a fantastic product to use, really does a great job, and that will help enormously. Hopefully that does get things going. All right, let's go to the Great Southern in Western Australia. This is a beautiful region uh, in Western Australia. It's absolutely gorgeous, great gardens, amazing produce. And Carol has been has started a brand-new native garden. Now it's clay soil, which is particularly challenging, We're gifted 20 tube stock and the majority have really taken off. But the emu bushes don't seem to be doing well at all. Now, I'd love to see photographs of what your emu bushes are because this is a problem with common names is there's a couple of different emu bushes. Now, one that's often used foliage for cut flowers is fantastic. The other one is a plant that originates from the Midwest of WA, hot, dry conditions, and hates heavy soils and waterlogging. So I suspect that maybe it's the second. Now, the nursery our friend brought them from suggested putting in a special potting mix uh, with fertiliser in it in the hole as well as some gypsum, which we did. We also put plastic sleeves around them. Is there anything else we should be doing? I would have recommended that you plant them into mounds. So I would have built the soil up into mounds, probably about, what are we talking about here, 35 centimetres height at the very top and a mound around the outside like that and I would have planted them into the top because it'll always keep the roots well drained um but look you you kind of you're probably battling nature these plants have evolved over tens of thousands of years maybe more to grow in in free draining dry soils and and you know it it is really really difficult so that's my bit of advice all right shall we um Shall we head to Ireland? Why don't I introduce you to a really good friend of mine, Peter Donegan. He is such a talented garden designer. He's a TV presenter too. We don't mention that in this interview, but he's a very talented TV presenter. And this is what we had a chat about yesterday. Well, look, I'm really thrilled to have my very good friend Peter Donigan from Peter Donigan Garden Design in Ireland joining us today. And, Peter, some pretty exciting news. You're coming to Australia to a very special event.
2: My, my first time, Trevor, in Australia, I should add. And what better way to mark that inaugural journey than to, um, uh, how did a French say it, to realise a show garden at your most wonderful Mifkus or Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show alongside Martin Semkin.
0: Yes, working with Martin Semkin who's a multi-award winner in his own right. Martin's um, company is exceptional Semkin Landscapes. Um Peter what what is an Irishman going to bring all the way from the northern hemisphere to the southern hemisphere that's going to blow people's minds? What what what's the plan
2: apart from my dashing rugged insert uh appropriate title here, good looks. <laughs> rye wit and and,
0: and modesty. And...
2: <laughs> We're both smiling now. Um I, I I think some I'll be honest with you. I've I've been a big admirer of what happens and it's funny how things abroad always seem a little bit greener, if I may, from afar. Uh and what a location to have it in. But I think ultimately I, I'll say what I've said before I, I have an ability to to daydream, turn that into an equation, and only ever make it appear like a a daydream again, uh, built by the very best in this case and um, the best team. I think by our side, but but yeah. ultimately, it's a it's a, it's a show garden, and it's it's funny when you translate poetry into an emotion, and if you can do a similar thing in show gardening, I think that's the beauty of it that it's constructed in nine days. Is the bit that nobody gets to see, and again, that's huge ode to a, a contractor. But I think we have a quite an eloquent design. I'll bite unannounced as yet, yeah. And I personally just hope that the people who come and visit your magnificent show fall in love with it.
0: Look, I am absolutely certain. Obviously, I'm one of those very lucky people who has been able to travel to Bloom, uh, the beautiful Irish garden show, usually held in the first week of June. I, I was there for the very first one. I think that's when we first met. Um, and I have seen some of your designs. They are spectacular. But, you know, you, you're you not just... Uh, you're not just setting up these sorts of gardens in uh in Ireland, in, in Dublin, but you you're actually been building gardens all around the world. Some really fascinating projects too.
2: Yeah, we were I, I guess I'm I'm fortunate and and humbled always. And and your viewers and listeners will gather that in my speech, but there's a sort of an Irishness in art, which is you're not allowed to get above your station or get big heads. Um mm-hmm. Uh, besides my intro joke referencing myself but we've been we've been very we've been very lucky to to, to be invited to design uh, our in 2018. I was one of 14 designers selected globally in this case to design at a uh, in the dried up mode of a 13th century castle 30 foot below street level in northern France and we were then invited back to do uh, another garden in the internal courtyard of the same castle. So that's probably been the one that's hit the headlines of recent again and being resurrected, if I may. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in between, then I, I think yes, there's been a few in in London, some in Wales, and some in Germany. And um, I don't like sitting still, Trevor. You'll tend to gather, uh, but we've we've got a good we've got a good history in doing things that are, if I may, more formal, where we've we'd done 17th, and 18th century design, and then I think obviously in, in show gardens that you've. Personally personally, my apologies being able to see is the, the bit that's more the daydreamer if I if I could call it that.
0: Well, they're certainly beautiful gardens. And, and the thing is, um, you know, Bloom bloom is an interesting show in itself. It's absolutely gorgeous. Melbourne, you are going to love. Melbourne is different again, but um, some spectacular work by designers at, at all different levels within the industry. So you're up there with the best, and certainly over the years, we've seen some spectacular gardens designed or, or bought to the show from different places in the world. But This is the first time... An Irish garden will come to uh, come to Australia and 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 be built as such. So I think it's going to be a real point of difference for the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show and a, a real highlight. So right now, a lot of people will know that the the show is is now uh, set and planned. You are obviously you've booked your flights, you've got your design, you're working with Martin to to pull it all together. Um, but this this thing that happens. Is enormous the the amount of logistics and work that you'll put into pulling this all together, and then you'll come together with Martin and his team to make it all happen over what nine days of building, and then you'll be there for the for the exhibit, uh, and you are also staying on to hopefully talk to a, a few organisations uh, whilst you're in Australia as well. It, it's a it's a you're like a rock star. You're just travelling the world doing amazing things.
2: I, I think I am I will always and forever be in your shadow, Trevor. Oh. There is no question about that. You're like the Australian Tom Selleck or Bono. I'm unsure which you are, but, but rock star indeed. Um, yeah, I know we've had talk coming up with the Friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens in Victoria. I think that's the 22nd of uh, April, March. My apologies, 23. It's a little bit away. Um, that'll be in Muller Hall I think in their herbarium so for uh, genuinely humbled that anybody would want to listen to me speak uh, ever (laughs) Uh, I know we have a (laughs) I know we have a talk with uh, Melbourne University as well uh, with their alumni that's on the horizon as well there's a few other things that are unannounced as yet and we'll park them to one side but I, I think there's a there's a humbling compliment always when you go to a another garden show in this case in a separate hemisphere, and it's huge credit again to, to Martin and the team. And what a wonderful city! What a wonderful town! What a wonderful show! But but I I think I've always said my email to Martin this morning saying like I'll rest next Christmas. Yeah, but I don't ever want to look back and say I went to Melbourne and I I fell only half in love with this garden we're about to make and everything that falls around it. And that's hugely important to me. I, I don't think I ever want to look back and say, I wish I had given it a little bit more. So it's it's full bore, the only difficulty at this moment in time. And it was a joke made with a, a guy called Daniel from, I think it's Althouse Design, who's also doing a garden at the show. And Daniel was saying to me, he said, um, do you want to meet, I think, tomorrow? Uh, and i said well are you having a coffee or are you having a beer which loosely translates as are we doing it in the evening your time or morning my time (laughs) so that's the only sort of difficulty if i may in between and outside of that i think it's very similar to how we do gardens in france we find out who the local nurseries are we know they're all amazing uh, literally around um, uh, Martin and work very closely with him So once we find out what that exact plant list is that we are able to work from and the variances that we're able to put into that then we have everything exactly as we need it but I can't emphasise it enough I think it's once you sort of say that you're putting your heart and soul into uh, miscus everybody seems it's like a magic you know a hotel car that just gets you up to the upper levels. so that the <laughs> seem to Open,
0: well, it's huge credit. Listen, mate, it's going to be a magnificent show. I, I'm we're gonna run out of time. I want you to come back on the show in the not too far distant future and share a little bit more detail on the design. When you when you're ready to reveal a bit more, I think it'll be a great teaser to the show. And of course, the, the, the wonderful thing is people will be able to come to the show, see your garden, and hopefully catch you there as well. So, Peter, thanks for joining us. Um, I really pleasure. wish you all the pleasure. very best. It's such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Trevor. Wonderful as always. He's so charming. He's he's a very very talented designer, and certainly if you can get to Melbourne for this 2023 um, Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show, you'll have the chance to see him in action. He will be moving around the country doing some talks at various universities, etc. He's an extremely bright uh, young man and um, incredibly talented, and a gentleman to go with it. So uh, I, I thought that'd be a just a little bit of a point of difference. Now, I know that you're tuned in because you've got garden questions, so let's fly into them. Kathleen, you didn't tell us where we are. In fact, we've got a few people not telling us where you are, and and I really do need to know because it it can make a big difference. Kathleen's asking that, now she said that she's read that coffee grounds should not be put in compost as it deters worms. Is this correct? If there's too much um, coffee grounds in your compost, there's not enough food for your worms, so that's probably where they're coming from there's nothing in the coffee grounds themselves that would actually damage the worms or, or cause them any harm but it's all about food so um my advice would be i would apply coffee grounds straight into the soil i wouldn't bother about putting them into compost I'd mix them into the topsoil it will improve the topsoil a lot um kathleen thank you north northeast victoria so that does help matiah um you have asked and again I'm not sure where you're from you've dug out your potatoes because something's been helping itself I don't know what it is it could be a blue tongue lizard but what do I do to save my potatoes next time well I'm really not not really sure exactly what you're saying your problem is uh, it, I'm assuming something's eating the foliage of your potatoes and it's interesting because I doubt that very much that it would be uh, a lizard at all because uh, that foliage is generally poisonous so it's it's highly unlikely that uh, something like that would be doing it. It's more likely to be something along the lines of possibly rats, more likely caterpillars, possibly grasshoppers. But this is where letting me know where you're from and sending us some photos really does help. So how about sending us a couple of photos and we'll have a look and I promise you, I'll come back and, and answer that. Karen uh, from the Great Southern in WA, uh, can you please help with stinging nettle? It's taking over my garden and vegetable patch. Well, stinging nettle is one of those things. Um, how do I put it? Uh, how do I put it diplomatically? It shouldn't be there. It's it's uh, it's a weed in in uh, in Europe. It's a weed in in North America where it's got away, and it'll become a weed here if we don't control it and I think that it is actually declared as a weed so it should never have been getting circulated anyway um, and this is what's happening with your garden. I would get the line trimmer out and I would cut it all down to the ground as quickly as I possibly could uh, and if it's going through your veggie patch you just need to get into it and pull it out. Do it now because in another month's time you're going to find it sets seed and then you've got problems for the next seven years because that's how long the seed will live in the soil. Stinging nettle can be a, a real problem and uh, there's been this sort of this uh, romantic misconception that this is a plant that has some um, some herbal qualities, some some health benefits uh, as a tea. And, and look, it may well do, but its potential damage on the environment can be enormous. So uh, don't let it get away. Karen, get into it. I'd get the line trimmer out wherever it's not in garden beds. And then in the garden beds, I'd pull it out. Because um, unfortunately, yeah, once it takes over, you're not going to be able to walk through your garden without being in considerable pain. Tyson from Melbourne, you bounced back, mate. Hello. In fact, we've got a couple more coming back from Melbourne. Um, how do I get rid of weeds and what can I do to get rid of them? Can I – oh, you've got not one question but lots of questions, Tyson. Um Weeds, the best way to get rid of weeds is with a cultivator. So a three-prong cultivator, get out for ten minutes a day, a bit of vigorous turning over the surface of the soil, cultivating the soil. You'll dig the weeds in, you don't lose the nutrients by pulling them out and taking them away. The nutrients will be dug back into the soil. And um, by the time you've gone over the same ground two or three times, pretty much all your weeds are out the way. So um, that's pretty good. And the second question you asked is foxglove Suttons apricot seeds. I do not not know this one Sutton's apricot um you've got them in the ground do I plant them in the ground or somewhere else I again would probably suggest to you it sounds like a a, a nice cultivar I would suggest that you grow them in one of those Fothergill's little mini greenhouses get them going and put them into there and and Tyson you probably if you don't do it now um literally in a month's time, it's probably going to be too late. So I would suggest either do it now, do it today, or save them until probably May, June, and then start sowing your seed then. And they'll grow really well through the cooler months. Uh, it's slow and steady, but it's really the right way for foxgloves to grow. And then they'll flower in the spring and uh, you'll be harvesting seed about now and and obviously keeping that for later on. That's kind of how the cycle should work. Seth, in... Um, in Melbourne, my zucchinis are growing beautifully, but they become five six centimetres long uh, and then they start getting rot from fl- the flowering part. Now, I thought maybe it needs calcium. You gave them some eggshells. Cal- eggshells will not deliver calcium in a soluble form to plants for years, years and years and years. You need to be adding lime. If you're growing tomatoes, if you are growing any of those zucchinis, um, even eggplants, uh, you need to be boosting the soil with garden lime. Now you can either do garden lime, dolomite, or if you're in a in an alkaline soil um, climate, then get yourself some gypsum because it's pH neutral, but it's a rich source of calcium. Those plants will all get that what we call blossom end rot, and they start dying back. and Unfortunately, you end up with big, you know, rotten holes in your fruit, which is exactly what you don't want. So do that. And even if you've got tomatoes in now and they're starting to flower and so on and you haven't done it, don't be scared to do it. Liming your soil is a very good thing to do, particularly in acidic soils. Hopefully that helps there. Um, Matthew, staying in Melbourne, West Melbourne, we've got a dragon's tail monstera indoors. Uh, how do we encourage more vine growth? Uh, it's we have a very dried brown end to the vine. It okay, doesn't sound good, actually. Now, this is a plant called Raffia de Fora. It's decursiva. Uh, de Curs- de now, it's not a monstera for a start. So um, it's it's kind of got those monstera beautiful leaves. But it is a climbing member of the philodendron family. And um, it, it's one of those plants that you do need to keep the moisture up to. You don't want it sitting in water but you do need to have it um, consistently moist in the soil. So a really good quality potting mix is the way to go. Now, uh, Osmocote produce a potting mix for indoor plants. It drains well, it holds moisture consistently, and it's got all the right nutrients in it. So a really good blend of nutrients for um, you know for these kinds of these kinds of growing environments and these kinds of plants. And that's what I would suggest you do. I would suggest you repot it, where the brown ends are i would trim them back and then i would give it some osmocote for indoor plants over the top as well a controlled release fertilizer so that every time you water over the top that will stimulate some nutrient flow back through and and keep those roots growing strongly because that's actually what's going on here it strikes me that the the roots are not as happy and when the roots are not happy they won't push out more nutrient and you start to see the growth start to come back. So hope that helps, Matthew, in West Melbourne. Kerry is in New South Wales. I recently fertilised my gardenia bush with sea sole and slow release and use sugarcane mulch. My gardenia has died off partially. Lots of yellow leaves, brown leaves, yet there's a small portion that's blooming with green leaves. Is it possible you've over-fertilised? I think of the three things you've done that one of them in particular has been detrimental, and it's a sugarcane mulch. So if you put the mulch up against the base of the plant and don't keep it away from the from the stem of the plant as it's growing out of the ground, there's a risk that you'll get what we call collar rot. And if you find you get collar rot, it'll, it might get in on one side, not go all the way around, but it'll damage the bark on one side, and that bark and the tissue that's underneath it, which is called the cambium layer, conducts nutrient and moisture um, passage up and down the stem. So once it's not able to go up that particular section because it's been damaged, you'll find all those leaves on that side will suddenly go brown. And I think that that's what you're describing here. sole is not a fertiliser, so you didn't feed it with sole. What should have happened with sole is it should have stimulated some really good root growth and soil health. But um, you do mention that you used a slow release, and slow-release fertilisers will not burn... The plant, or cause damage to the root, so it can't be that. So the, I've wiped the first two out. I think it's the last thing, the sugarcane mulch. Go to the plant now. Pull that mulch away. Make sure there's none up against the stem, and try and keep it as dry as you can. Uh, you don't want it too dry, but you you definitely don't want it saturated at the moment. Uh, you can apply a, uh, a fungicide. There are a number of them out there uh, that you could use. I would speak to my local garden centre if I'm re- if you're really concerned about it. But uh, yeah, it does sound to me like it's tissue damage around the base of the plant, and that would have been caused by sh- by your mulch going up against the side, particularly sugarcane mulch, uh, that can be quite problematic. Okay, we'll keep going. Uh, on the central coast of New South Wales, we've got Chris. How do I get rid of onion weed and pennywort that's taken over your garden with a non-toxic product or home remedy? Also, I need to poison the stump of a large tree that was cut down, an Asian tree. I wonder if that's an Asia bell tree. Can this be done with a non-toxic product? Well, the answer is yeah. And look, you know, in the old days, as far as the large tree goes, um, my grandfather would would put um, kind of old engine oil or something like that over the trunk of the, the plant. So he'd cut a few holes into the trunk, um, use some, some old diesel or, or definitely old uh, old engine oil and um that will kill the tree off you don't want too much because you don't want it penetrating into the soil but it will kill the tree off and make sure that it doesn't come back is that worse than putting a herbicide on board i don't know i don't know but you know the only other solution you've got is that you just stay vigilant on that um that trunk and you just keep cutting any new growth away and eventually the tree will give up um Let's just go back to the, the onion weed for a second and the pennywort. Pennywort is something you can knock out with any of those sort of um, those um, salt and vinegar kind of sprays. I was trying to think of the right word for them, but that's that's it. So, you know, you use vinegar, you put salt in there, you mix it all up and then you spray it over the foliage on a warm day. You can't do it on a wet day. On a warm day, and it'll just burn all the foliage off and takes control of things. That um, That is probably one of the best ways to do that, but onion weed is a whole different kettle of fish. And the only way to really get rid of onion weed is to smother the weed itself. And what I mean by that is literally layers of paper or even cardboard over the patches where you see it in big quantities and then mulch on top. It'll smother most of it out, but you'll still see some re and you need to do it again. And if you keep doing it, you will get rid of it. But it, it is a really difficult thing to control, and my experience is herbicides really are not that effective. So um, this is the best way to do it. Three questions in one, Chris. I hope that helped uh, solve this particular problem for you. Kimber is in Melbourne. Hello, Kimber. I'm looking to purchase some olive trees to plant in my backyard. Do you have any recommendations on what species would grow best in Melbourne? Okay. To be quite honest, there's. There's a wide range of varieties that are quite adaptable right across the country. In fact, things like Manzillo as a species or as a variety you will find growing here um, quite comfortably. Verdale was a very, very old-fashioned variety Um, you'll find growing here in the west but growing well in Melbourne. But your local garden centre is actually the source. So I'd jump in the car and take a drive, say, down to Garden World and um, go and have a talk to them. Have a look what they've got in stock because what they've got in stock will have been growing locally and those varieties will perform. Plus, these guys will give you the advice that is most relevant to your local climatic condition. And That is probably one of the best bits of advice I can give anybody ever. Independent garden centres are always great because they have horticulturalists employed and they can provide you with the most relevant qualified advice which is really important okay we are coming up to episode 13 of the garden gurus i can't believe it we've only got two more to go here's a sneak peek of what's coming up this weekend
1: i'm in for a special treat today folks i'm tapping into my artistic side putting paint to brush to pot This summer, why don't you give your salads and your sandwiches an extra crunch by growing your own sprouts and microgreens at home. All you need is a sunny windowsill, a packet of seeds and some water.
0: One of the most important things that you can do for a healthy lawn this time of the year is to be mowing. Wow. Wow. That was a lot of fun doing that particular story. Those mowers are amazing. If you've got a a bit of space, a bit of room, a lot of grass, uh, they're one great fun to drive, two incredibly accurate and just amazing machines. So, Check out the Garden Gurus this weekend. We, we've got lots of lots of gardening advice and we've got lots of new product and innovation. Some people get annoyed with this because they like, oh, you're advertorial. But you know what? We're not advertorial. We're showing you the best things to make gardening as easy as possible. Those right on mowers. You can mow. that We literally, uh, Nigel and I started that story together and had to mow uh, an area of probably about, I don't know, 2,000 square metres. It's quite a lot. Uh, he did it in about five minutes. It was it was crazy. And he was having so much fun while he was doing it. You might have noticed Nigel always has fun. But uh, he was having so much fun as he was doing it. And it was a really, really good um, uh, a, a good way to explain how the, I suppose, the old pushing the mower around sort of thing doesn't have to be a drudgery. Mowing your lawn can be an absolute pleasure. And that was. So anyway, we'll show you that. Now, I want to go to my plant of the week. There's a lot of you been asking what were the flowers that i showed earlier on can anybody guess the kind of the buds here might give it away you might be used to them being far more pink though do you know what it is it's of course a rose this one is blush pierre de ronsard blush it's a real beautiful rose kim cyrus over in Adelaide, introduced these as part of the Mayland collection. They're the ones that um, that brought in uh, the, the the gorgeous um, Pierre de Ronsard, probably one of the best roses you'll ever get. Kim also gave me some beautiful burgundy ones. So There's a burgundy version of this as well, and they're just magnificent. They've got this wonderful, subtle fragrance, and it is a vigorous... Well, it's meant to be a climber. I'm going to call it a pillar rose, and what I mean by a pillar rose is it'll grow to about... metres max. Very, very um, upright kind of habit. Pierre de Ronsard can be definitely trained as a proper climber. I tend to think this is a little more compact, but it might be in my garden environment. If you're growing this and and you've got it as a full-blown climber, tell us about it. Now, if you want to know how to get the best results out of roses, then there's a few tricks. And one of them is that you give them a really good feed when they come out of dormancy. Remember they've been resting through the winter, this does in the world a good, just a bit like us resting. you know we bounce out of bed in the morning when we've had a good night's rest, and we feel fantastic. Well, these guys bounce out in springtime and feel fantastic, and they start using huge amounts of energy. And because we've had lots of lots of uh, moisture in the soil, there's lots of biological activity, there's lots of nutrient available, they grow like crazy. As they sort of reach their first flush of flowers, if the ground starts to dry, Um, you'll find the next flush of flowers is a lot less. The other thing is that they've used a lot of nutrient, um, particularly if you're harvesting and taking them away, all that nutrient's gone. So you need to replace it. So right at this moment, as we're harvesting, I am feeding my roses like crazy. Right at the peak of their bloom, I'm feeding them only because I know I'm cutting all these flowers off as soon as they have either finished or cutting them off as they're looking beautiful like this and putting them into into vases in the house because they are magnificent. What a beautiful rose. This it's, it's not brand new. It's been around for 10 years or so at least here in Australia. Pierre de Ronsard blush. Absolutely gorgeous. My plant of the week. If you've got any questions, let us know. I know that um, Christine just put put a comment up saying she loves the roses. I love roses too. When they're at their best like this, there's just nothing better. These ones are going to Jess because it was her birthday yesterday. So I'll make sure that I um, get up there and hopefully she's um, she's at her desk and we can make her day. There's nothing better than, than giving somebody flowers to say you love them and you appreciate them and you know, that they can share in the beauty of what you can grow in your own backyard. Okay, keep those questions coming in. We've got a few more minutes to go. Not many, but I'll try and get a few more answered for you. Um, Gabby is from Collie. Collie is in sort of the southwest WA, a couple of hours south of Perth. How do I stop snails in my garden? Has to be non-toxic and non-alcoholic to avoid tipsy dogs. Yeah, that is actually a problem. Um, those, those, um, Those beer traps, if your dog loves beer... They'll drink it before the snails will. And uh, unfortunately, even if they drink a little bit, it takes it, takes it away. Unfortunately, um, the, the, the snails will go in, they'll drink, but they don't fall in and drown. So there's a beer trap. That's out of the question here. When it comes to non-toxic, um, probably using natural treatments, natural minerals is always a good way. And bluestone is something that you can use. So that's copper. Uh, either you can use copper sprays, so you can spray around with a copper spray or um, in large quantities, it can be toxic to, to organs in the body. But in small quantities, it'll take the mollusks out. So that's snails and slugs, and it won't affect the animals. Generally, animals don't like the taste of copper anyway. It's kind of bitter, so they, they'll stay away. But it will get immediate control over your snail populations and knock them right back, and, and that's really what you're trying to do. So hopefully it helps, Gabby. Big answer for quite a small response, I suppose. Um t okay, t reza my mum is a long time, for decades, bean grower, but the last couple of years she's noticed the beans at the bottom of the plant ripen, but the beans at the top of the plant at face level stay green. Would well, you know why? Well, they should always ripen, um, and really technically, if you think about it, as the plant's growing, it produces flowers, and then it starts producing the bean, and then it continues to grow, and it produces more flowers and it starts producing more beans. The ones at the bottom should be far more mature and should ripen earlier. And as it keeps growing up, they'll keep producing small green ones, and they should be the last ones to ripen, basically when the when the beans hit its, its point of maturity. So I'm, I'm not sure that this is a problem. I kind of think, even though she's been doing it for decades, maybe she's a little impatient. I'm not sure. I'll have to check with mum. um, Maybe... To Reza, if you send us a photograph, maybe there's a bit more to this that I'm seeing and understanding. Uh, Greg, Gregory's in Queensland. I live on a medium-sized large block, and my current lawn mower isn't cutting it anymore. Do you have any recommendations? Watch this weekend show. We we did two, we did a road test on, on two mowers. One's a Cub Cadet. Um, sensational mower. I, I actually have one personally myself for my my lawn. I've got a about um, I don't know 12, 1,400 square meters of lawn uh, in, in my home garden. Then I've got a, an, another property with a large amount of lawn, and I've got a rover on that one. And we road tested both of them, uh, the latest models, uh, over over a, about a five or six hour period, just mowing and looking at the cut, looking how they performed. Uh, absolutely fantastic machines. Mm-hmm. So this Saturday at 4:30 on Channel Nine, um, Gregory, that is my recommendation. Now, it was a big day yesterday. I mentioned it was Jess's birthday, but it was also Christine's birthday. And, Christine, happy birthday to you. Christine Rankin is a wonderful supporter of ours. She's a very keen gardener and, uh, and does an amazing job. I, and I do follow her on Facebook and look at all of her photos. Um, congratulations. Happy birthday, Christine. Uh, it was lovely. Now, that's it that's all we've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed it. It's been it's been a busy day. We've had a lot of things, a lot of stuff going on around the outside with interviews and so on. So hopefully I got to your questions, but please if you've got questions, don't hesitate to post them now. We'll add them up and next next Friday Joe will join us um, because I think I'll be in Christmas Island, depending on whether a very large cyclone uh, doesn't fly by. My my goal in Christmas Island is uh, filming uh, one of this brand new TV series that we're producing, which you'll see on Channel 9 this Saturday nationally uh, at 4pm. It's called Destination Australia. Uh, we are doing a whole series of islands. This is the very first step. So you get to see that. It's kind of like a preview, and then the series will occur later or early in 2023. And um, we are in some amazing islands. Christmas Island is particularly amazing because the environment is so unique. The The top line um, animal on that island is a crab. And right at the moment, there's about 60 to 100 million of them moving uh, to the ocean to spawn and back uh, into the forest where they live, their land crabs. Uh, so I'm looking forward to catch, capturing that. So that's what my plans are next week. Um, hopefully I'll be able to join in with you from the distance, if nothing else. Now, we do have, obviously, Joe coming back next week, so you do want to be putting your questions up. Remember, if you put questions up, you're also in the running to win some prizes. And Shaylee will let um, let you know if you've won from today's show for best question and we, as I said, we'll be back next week. It's 9 a.m. Western Standard Time. Uh, it is midday Australian daylight saving time. I think it is now on the East Coast. Remember, you can always jump onto our website and catch up with previous stories from The Garden Gurus. That's thegardengurus.tv. Or go to our YouTube channel. It's also thegardengurus.tv. There's, there's lots and lots of video content on there. And please remember, um, we have got... Our 13th episode of The Garden Gurus occurring tomorrow um, at 4.30pm uh, across Australia on Channel 9. It's packed full of great gardening advice. Please keep supporting us. It's We really do appreciate it. You don't understand how much we appreciate it. Please understand if we've got products in some stories, and you feel like we're pushing the product, we're only doing it because we know that it will give you results in your garden. We're all about making gardening easy. It shouldn't be hard. It should be something you can enjoy. And I hope that explains why we have no qualms in being able to recommend something if it's going to give you results. That's all we've got. I'm Trevor Cochran. Happy gardening, everybody. I look forward to seeing you again real soon. Bye-bye.